other side of midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Moreno. It's Friday. We made it. The weekend is here. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday and thank God it's Frank. You know what that means. Ask Frank anything. You can start dialing at 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We have a substitute phone screener or telephone talent coordinator, Jake, in for Kenneth today. So you might be able to pull a fast one on him and get in with a question that's not that good. Give it a shot. 800-848-9222. The New York Daily News is reporting that the Adams administration wants permission from the federal government to house migrants in Manhattan's Metropolitan Correctional Center, the infamous jail that closed in 2021 following years of complaints over dangerous conditions. I happen to think this is a very good idea for two reasons. One, We couldn't get this prison fixed and put into a hospitable place or even a humane place when there were American prisoners there. Maybe if they have to get it in shape for migrants, maybe they will make this a place that's actually fit for human occupation. The other thing is, if you're a migrant that's really an asylum seeker, that's fleeing being raped or being persecuted or being assaulted or being murdered, God forbid, and you are coming to the United States and coming all the way up here to New York, I have a feeling you would take inhospitable conditions at the MCC in Manhattan over risking your life by being murdered by a narco-terrorist gang in Central America. No one invited you here. No one told you to come here. So for immigrant advocates to act like the MCC is somehow insufficient for their use, well, look, we have to come up with a way of dealing with 100,000 people here. And if the MCC is vacant and available, which it is, and it housed people for decades, I think this is not a bad solution that the Adams administration has come up with. Not in the long term, but it is something that can maybe help stem the massive overcrowding that's going on in all sorts of other shelters. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I am superstar Frank Morano. Now, I've been calling myself superstar because of my Bally's status and as a tribute to the late, great superstar Billy Graham, who we lost recently. But the real superstars are the folks that fight for our country and wear the uniform of our country. And it breaks my heart whenever something bad happens to them. And that's why I just love the work that the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation does in getting mortgage-free homes for veterans' families that don't make it back and getting a lot of help, including smart homes for veterans that may come back with debilitating injuries. And pretty soon, all of the WABC hosts are going to be launching a massive fundraising effort for the upcoming Tunnel to Towers race. Well, we're going to get a little bit of a head start on that this Saturday on Staten Island. I'm going to arrange a charity softball game with the proceeds going to benefit the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. If you want to come down to watch the game, we're asking you to make a voluntary contribution of $10 or so. It's going to go to my team. Pretty soon, the uh, fundraising pages for all the hosts will be up at WABCRadio.com. 
Bloomingdale.com. But you can just come to watch. It's in a public park, Bloomingdale Park in Staten Island. And we could use a few players if you actually want to play. So if you do want to play, you can email me at frank.morano. That's frank.m-o-r-a-n-o at wabcradio.com. I want to caution you, though. I am a mediocre softball player at best. You should have absolutely very measured expectations. We're going to talk with Marlena Shivo, John McDonough, and former WABC radio talk show host Freddie Mertz in just a minute. If you have questions, you can give us a call, 800-848-9222. We're going to call this Frank Moreno's free-for-all. The phone calls will not be screened for content. We're just going to screen them for name and turning your radio off. So there's no telling what might happen over the course of the next hour. I'll see if any of these three guys want to play softball. Maybe I can recruit one of them for my team. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. A New York City carriage horse died earlier this week at a Midtown stable, and this has reignited controversy between activists who deem the industry abusive to animals and the carriage drivers who say they love their horses and are just doing an honest day's work. The 17-year-old horse, a horse named Blackjack, passed away earlier this week after suffering from colic, an abdominal condition that commonly affects horses. The union that represents the drivers says the stable staff noticed Blackjack was exhibiting signs of colic and started administering medication and consulting with veterinarians with the intent of transporting him off-site for care, but the horse died before its vet could show up. Colic is the leading cause of premature death among horses. The American Horse Council estimates about 10% of American horses suffer from colic each year and 0.7% of them die. That equals about 64,000 horses each year. New York City's carriage horses, like others, are not immune to colic episodes, especially fatal ones. There was a Belgian draft horse named Billy that died from colic in his Manhattan stall during a heat wave last summer, and five horses died of colic between 2019 and 2021. Most of these horses die after retirement, which occurs upon reaching the age of 26 or being deemed not healthy enough to work, and they often leave the city at that point or move into less intensive horse occupations like trail riding or therapy. But a lot of animal rights activists are saying that Blackjack's death is just the latest example of fatal neglect and abuse in the industry, which they say involves Involves dangerous and stressful work on chaotic midtown streets. Adita Bernkrant, executive director of New Yorkers for Clean, Livable, and Safe Streets, said the tragic and agonizing death of Blackjack is another harrowing reminder of the horse owner lobby's persistent neglect and callous disregard for these animals. This is not an isolated incident, but a reflection of a profit-driven system that treats horses as expendable commodities. An investigation and necropsy are necessary to determine exactly what happened to Blackjack. Now, I know this may not be popular with a lot of our listeners, but I happen to agree with her. One, I think we need an investigation and an necropsy to determine the precise cause of death. Second, 
I know people love riding in these horses. I know it's a big part of the Central Park experience and the tourist experience. You're never going to convince me that Midtown Manhattan is a safe place for these horses. I really do think it's abuse. I know a lot of these drivers are fond of their horses. I don't think they should be in the streets of New York. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I have spent a great deal of time saying that the private lives of public officials should be respected. I think if a politician gets divorced or something along those lines, we don't necessarily need to know every detail of that. But what about their deaths? Are their deaths entitled to be private affairs. Well, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy and the family of now deceased Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver certainly seem to think so. It has been nearly three weeks since Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver died after a brief hospitalization while serving as acting governor. Murphy and his office have declined to release the cause of her death, saying her health was a private matter and giving deference to the family's wishes. When Politico New Jersey reached Oliver's niece, she responded, the Oliver family regards the cause of death as a personal family matter. We thank you for respecting our privacy during this difficult time. I'm sure this is a difficult time for the Oliver family, but that doesn't mean that the standards that the press and the public hold elected officials to should change. Sheila Oliver was, as Governor Murphy and others have noted, a longtime public servant for decades, including four years as the Assembly Speaker. She stepped in as the acting governor on multiple occasions, including the earliest days of COVID-19 when Governor Murphy himself underwent surgery for kidney cancer. And as Lieutenant Governor, she ran one of the state's largest agencies, the Department of Community Affairs. Taxpayers paid her salary. Sheila Oliver was known apparently in Trenton circles to be in very poor physical health recently. For what specifically, we don't know. And that reveals a larger issue in New Jersey. A lot of people still remember when Governor Chris Christie had his secret lap band surgery 10 years ago. A few members of the legislature have missed votes in certain cases, a lot of them because of poor health. Former State Senator Gerald Cardinale was running for re-election when he died after a brief undisclosed illness. Elected officials are in office for one reason above all else, to serve the public and answer to it. And for all intents and purposes, Oliver was the state-level equivalent of Vice President Kamala Harris. If Harris had been hospitalized and then died, especially while she was filling in for Joe Biden, the public would expect and the press would demand to know all the details. And we have that same right to know with Sheila Oliver. Trying to respect her family wishes, but she was a public servant. She died as the acting governor, serving the public. We ought to be entitled to know how she died. Beam me up! To be continued.